word in the New Testament for that word. But we read sin, but not every time that we read the word sin is it the same Greek word. There were more words in the Greek uh, that were the, were the same thing for sin than we have. So they had different meanings sometimes. And so, uh, and so, that's, so that's where studying and, and understanding how the scriptures work, how they're put together sometimes is important because of the different definitions. But from the definitions of the word sin, how, as we get those through the New Testament, through all the different words that are used for sin, uh, there are, from these definitions, we can, according to Ryrie, uh, conclude the following four things. And I think these things are important as we get into this, this study of sin. Number one, there is always a clear standard which sin against which sin is committed. There is always a clear standard against which sin is committed. And of course, that standard for us today would be God's word. So, um, there, but there is always a standard. When, when somebody is said to have sinned, they, they have done something against a clear standard. And that standard for us today is scripture. Number two, all sin is rebellion against God and a transgression of his standards. When we sin, we rebel against God. That's what sin is. It's rebellion. It's rebellion in our heart against God and against his standard. We just said there's a clear standard, so it's rebellion against God and his clear standard. Number three, evil may assume a variety of forms. Uh, there are many ways to sin, and there are many different forms to sin. Um, and so we have to understand that. There are sins of commission, things that we purposely do. I speak ugly to somebody when I should speak kind to them. I do this or do that. There are sins of omission, things we're supposed to do that we don't do. Um, those are sins of omission. And so they fall into different categories. But there's a variety of forms uh, that evil may assume. And number four, a man's responsibility is definite and clearly defined. We have a responsibility when it comes to the sin in our life. Now, this is, this is a huge problem in society today. Because in society today, nobody wants to take responsibility for their actions. Nobody. If this person's in office, every problem that comes up is the person before them's problem. Right? Doesn't matter who, I, forget Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. If a Republican's in office, every problem that happens gets blamed on the Democrat before him. If a Democrat's in office, every problem gets blamed on the Republican that was before him. Nobody will just say, I made a mistake. Nobody takes personal responsibility. And in society, we see that same idea where personal responsibility is, is, is no longer something that's practiced. We, we, we see that among young people. I've, I've worked in Christian school. Not just public school, but Christian school. 25 years working in Christian school. And, and I saw a shift over those years where I grew up in Christian school. If the principal called my mom and said, this happened, the first thing my mom would say is, he'll be dead by the end of the day. That's basically what she would say. She would say it in a different forms, but basically, I knew I was in trouble when I got home. Whatever the school did, I was in far worse trouble when I got home. But now when the, when the teacher or the principal calls home, the first thing is, well, why isn't the teacher like my son? What did the teacher do that caused that? See, there's been a shift from 
taking personal responsibility to where it's always somebody else's fault. There's always somebody else to blame. And I clearly saw that over the 25 years that I was an administrator. Almost never do you get the parent today who says, oh, they got in trouble at school. We will deal with that when we get home. <laughs> you know, but occasionally you still see that parent. It's nice when you see that parent. Matter of fact, Alyssa, Alyssa had a parent. She was telling me a story about a child in her class this week, and, and, the, and the parent was going to deal with it. And she said it was so refreshing to know that the parent was actually going to deal with this issue because we don't see it today. Man's responsibility is definite and clearly defined. Now, how do we define sin? Well, sin is, is hard to define because of its magnitude and the very definitions of it through Scripture, through the different words. But let me give you a, a summary definition that Ryrie uses, and I think it's pretty good. Uh, it is a missing the mark, badness, rebellion, iniquity, going astray, wickedness, wandering, ungodliness, crime, lawlessness, transgression, ignorance, and falling away. That's how Ryrie defines sin. So there's a lot of pieces and parts to that, but I think that's all uh, pretty, pretty true. Generally, sin can be defined as lawlessness. Sin is some form of law lawlessness. First John, first John chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So part of the definition of sin is definitely an aspect of lawlessness. Now, folks, that's especially interesting in the society in which we live today because a lot of what we see in society today is lawlessness. We see a lot of lawlessness in society. There are laws that are here to govern and help along the way but we see a lawlessness where people feel like the law doesn't apply to them. And we see that all the time. We see that on the news. We see that on TV. We see that in, in the paper. We see where people just don't think the law applies to them. It doesn't matter if there's this law. I'm going to do it this way. It's lawlessness. But lawlessness is <laughs> whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. Now Strong, um, in his concordance, he defines sin as this, this way. He says, sin is lack of conformity to the moral law of God, either in act, disposition, or state. So that's a shorter definition. That's also a good definition. It's lack of conformity to the moral law of God. We have the moral law. Now, I'm not, when I say law, I'm not just talking about the Old Testament law. I mean, we understand there, there are commandments in the Old Testament that we should follow. I'm talking about the law in general, God's law, God's, God's rule book. This is the law for us as believers. Well, for the whole world, really. But this is, the, this is the law. This is the standard against which everything should be measured. It should be against this book. So any decision I make, does this book speak to that decision? Everything I do, does this book speak to that issue? And if it does, am I doing it the right way or am I doing it the wrong way? Th this book should be that standard that everything is measured against. Uh, when I, years ago, when we were at the church in the Shenandoah Valley, we had a we had a big Awana club there, and and Awana one of the part of the things with Awana club is uh, they have the uh, the the pine car derby. They race the little derby cars. You know what I'm talking about? Boy Scouts and other groups have done that over the years too. But but Awana had 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 pine car derby cars. The Awana Grand Prix it was called, where you would race your cars down the track. Um, 
but there was a standard for the weight of what a, a Juana Grand Prix car could not exceed. Now, it could be any weight below this, but it could not exceed a certain weight because that would give uh, the person unfair advantage. And um, so there was actually a metal block that had Iwana, something about a Juana Grand Prix imprinted into it and a weight. And that metal block was what? It was the standard. Every car that raced in the Grand Prix was raced against a standard that was based on that metal block. And so you literally had this little teeny digital scale that you would zero out using that block and then you put that, you'd zero it out and you'd put that block on there. That block would be a certain weight and every car had to be that weight or lower. It was a standard that every car was measured against. And that's, that's how it is with us. We have, we have a standard that everything in our life has to be measured against. That standard is, is the Word of God. Some people refer to it as like being filtered. Now, I, you know I'm not a coffee drinker, but I make coffee two times a week, every week of my life, Wednesday night and Sunday morning. I make coffee. But, you know, when you go to make coffee, you put in the bottom of the whatever the basket is at the top of the coffee maker, you put a filter. And then you put the coffee in the filter, and then the water pours down onto the grains of coffee and goes through the filter to get to the pot below. So what is that doing? Everything is filtered. All the grains are filtered. The water is filtered through that filter to get the end result, which is hopefully coffee that people who drink coffee like to drink. So some people refer to the Word of God that way. Everything we do in our life should be, should be through the filter of the Word of God. In other words, my actions are up here. They go through the filter of God's Word, and hopefully they're pure on the other side. They're what they're supposed to be. You can look at it that way as well. But, but sin is a lack of conformity uh, to the moral law of God. Uh, Buswell, in his uh, commentary, says, defines sin this way. He says, anything in the creature which does not express or which is contrary to the holy character of the creator. I like that definition a lot. Anything in the creature which does not express or which is in contrary to the holy character of the creator. And we have to remember that sin is sin against God. I think sometimes, sometimes we get the mentality, well, I can, I can do certain sins and they're, they're just sins that pertain to my life. It, it doesn't affect anything with God. That's not the case. Uh, Psalm 51 and verse 4 says, it says, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Was the psalmist here? A psalm of David, when he was convicted by Nathan the prophet, when, the Nathan, when Nathan the prophet stuck his finger in David's face and said, You're the man. You're the one. You're the one that did evil. And David says, what to God? Against thee and thee only have I sinned. He could have said, against Uriah, and Uriah only have I sinned, because he did sin against Uriah. But he did evil against Uriah, but he sinned against God. And so he, so he, and he acknowledged that sin, that his sin was not a sin against somebody else. It was a sin against God that had consequences for somebody else. But all sin is a sin against God. Now, no matter what our definition of sin is, no matter, no matter what our definition of sin is, we have to remember that 
Ter- sin is a terrible thing. No matter how you define it, you have to remember that. Habakkuk 1 and verse 13, we covered this book. Uh, it says, Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil, verse 13 of chapter 1, and canst not look on iniquity, wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. Habakkuk says, God, I, I know that you cannot look on iniquity. You cannot look at sin because sin is so evil. John chapter 1, we get another verse similar in John uh, chapter 1 and verse 29. Uh, well, John chapter 1 verse 29 tells us about uh, dealing with that sin. Excuse me. The next day John seeth Jesus coming to him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which does what? Taketh away the sin of the world. And so, so we have to remember, number one, that sin is a wickedness that God's eyes cannot look on, but that there has to be an answer for sin, and that answer was found in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Now Christ, in his teachings, Christ, Christ sp- spoke a lot about sin and, and did so in great detail many times. And, and sometimes I think we think, you know, oh, Christ here on this earth, he was just... He just loved everybody. He loved on everybody. He tried to get people to join him. And, and, and you know, Christ, Christ was never, never spoke harshly or tough. That, that is not Jesus Christ, folks. That, that is not our Savior. Our Savior spoke to the issue of sin, and he spoke to it a lot. Spoke to it a lot and in great detail. So we want to just look at, at um, a few of those, few of those today. So, and, and so we're going to spend some time in the Gospels. So if you want to turn over to starting out in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 11. We're just going to look at some of the passages here that Jesus deals with sin and, uh, and what, he, what he has to say about it. So Matthew 11 and starting in verse 15. It says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. But whereunto shall I liken this generation is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you and you have not danced. You, you have mourned. We, I'm sorry, ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. And so Jesus is talking about the sin basically of, of sacrilege or, irre, or, or irreverence. He said, Listen, John, John came, he's, he came to bring you a message. And basically, you ignored the message, and you said he was crazy. That's what he said. So that, that's an idea of sacrilege or, or, or basically a, a religious uh, uh, irreverence there uh, towards things that were hollow, towards what, what John was bringing. What was John bringing? He was bringing news of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And basically, <laughs> they basically said, hey, he has a devil. Ignore, totally ignoring the message that John was bringing. But yet John was bringing a message of light, a light to the world. Turn over to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, and starting in verse 1. It says, Then spake Jesus to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do ye not after their works, for they say and do not. Okay, so now we're talking about hypocrisy. He says, listen, the Pharisees, the scribes, they sit in Moses, they sit in a position of authority. And he says, and they tell you to follow everything they say. But he says, but don't follow their works because they say, but they don't do. That's the hypocrite. That's what he says. 
He says, for uh, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men rabbi, rabbi, but not but be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither, by ye call, ne, neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is great among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Christ said, listen, here, here's, here's the sin of hypocrisy. As demonstrated by the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, at that time. And he goes on, and we, and we could read more of that passage. We won't for sake of time today. But basically, if you continue to read that passage all the way down to verse, down to verse 25, we're going we're gonna to see some definite things that Jesus Christ brings to, to, to the forefront here. Number one, they didn't practice what they preached. That's the hypocritical part of things. They didn't practice what they preached. And, and folks, so we need to be careful... It's easy to sit and tell people what they should do. <laughs> but we should be practicing it as well. It's, you know, it's easy to get in front of a, a group of teenagers and say, here's how you ought to live your life. Here's what you need to avoid. Here's what you need to do. Oh, but I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to live my life that way. We would say that's preposterous, but it's done all the time. It's done all the time by adults, too. We have to be careful. They didn't practice what they preach. Uh, number two, they sought to exalt themselves. That was in part of the passage we read here, where you know they, they do everything to do what? To draw attention to themselves. And listen, there, there are people like that today, folks. There are people that have the name reverend as part of their name that seek nothing spiritual except to exalt themselves. That's what their goal in life is, to exalt themselves and exalt their bank account. And sadly, that is the truth today. There are people in those positions. Number three, they, they escaped performing their oath. They didn't do that. That's verses 16 to 22. We're not going to read those today. But they basically didn't, didn't do the things that they swore they would do in taking care of God's altar and performing sacrifice the way they were supposed to and things like that. They neglected to promote justice. They wouldn't deal with issues that dealt with justice and sin. And finally, they were, uh, in verse 25, they appeared righteous, but were not. We can look at that verse real quick. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. He says, You clean up the outside of the glass really nice. Looks really good. But if you look down inside, it's nasty. It's nasty. You ever open a gallon of milk that's been in your refrigerator a little too long? And from the outside of the gallon, it looks pretty good still. You can't, you know, you can't quite see through that gallon. It looks pretty good. And then you go, you open that cap, and something doesn't exactly smell right, but then you go to pour that milk, and it is nasty. He says, that's what the Pharisees do. He says, they clean all up the outside so it looks really good to everybody around them, but the inside is disgusting. That was the Pharisees, the sin of hypocrisy. 
Luke, Luke chapter 12. Chapter 12 and verse 15. That's what it says here. Oops. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. It says, And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the thing which he possesseth. So we have to see the sin of God. And I want you to notice, if you're in a Bible with red writing, I'm, these are all verses, this is Jesus speaking to sin. This is Jesus speaking to different aspects of sin. He's dealt with sacrilege, irreverence towards spiritual things, hypocrisy. Now he deals with covetousness. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Folks, this is exactly opposite of the philosophy in our world today. Our world says you've made it when you have an abundance of things. When you own the fancy house. When you have the fancy cars. When you have the big bank account. When you have the toys. You've made it. That's what our world says. I've, I've, been, I've been amazed on the news uh, watching with some of the sanctions and stuff against Russia and stuff, and all these Russian guys that have these mega yachts. Have you seen that on the news, that, they, that different governments are, are confiscating their yachts? These guys have like these palatial yachts that are worth millions and millions of dollars, and part of how they're trying to break Putin is by taking all the yachts from all his friends, taking their yachts and taking them into car, or they refuse to fuel them, and they're sitting out in the water, and they can't get fuel for them or whatever. But it just kind of, kind of amazed me. You think of a, you know, somebody's got all the toys. You know, they got, they got the big yacht, they got the big house, they got the big car, they got the big of this, that, the other thing. And, and, and Jesus Christ says, listen, your life is not summed up by what you own. It's just not. But the world tells you it is. It's a lie of Satan. Listen, some of the happiest, most spiritual people that I know in this world, according to the world's standard, have nothing. They have nothing, but they love God, and they have a relationship with God. So we have to be careful. Covetousness, back into Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. Go back to Matthew chapter 12, chapter 12, starting verse 22. Chapter 12 and verse uh, 22, uh, it says this, says, Then was brought unto him one possessed of it, the devil, and blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw and the people were amazed, and saith, Is not this, this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts, and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? If I be by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do, you, do your children cast them out? Therefore... They shall be your judges. And uh, Jesus was talking about blasphemy. Blasphemy basically saying he, Jesus Christ is not Jesus Christ, but he's operating for Satan. He's operating for Satan. That's what they said. They said he was able to, to make this blind, dumb man speak and see because he's working on behalf of Satan. That's blasphemy. Go over just a couple pages. Chapter 15, verses 3 to 6. Chapter 15, verses 3 to 6. Notice what it says. It says, But he answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, 
and let he that curseth father or mother let him die the death. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus um, have ye made that commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. What's he talking about here? He, sa he says, listen, why do you also transgress the commandment of God? He's talking, about, he's talking about transgression of the law of God, what God's law says, and going against what God's law says. God's law says to do what? To honor your father and mother. That's what God's law says. And, um, and, and, and so that's what we are, we are to do. So there's, there's, a, there's another example. Uh, let's look at, we'll look at a couple more today and we'll be done. Uh, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And verse, starting in verse 20. Matthew 20 and starting in verse 20. Notice what it says. It says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, uh, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. This, this was the probably uh, the, uh, the original um, mama bear. Okay, when I teach about Mama Bear, you know, I always protect her. Okay, so this lady comes to Jesus. She said, "Hey, I want one of my sons to sit on one side of you, one of my sons to sit on the other side of you." That's what she, that was her what her request was. And he said unto her, "Oh, sorry, verse twenty-two. <coughs> but Jesus answered and said, <coughs> "Excuse me, you know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with?" They signed to him, "We are able." And he saith unto them, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> sorry about that, uh, ye, shall be, ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten had heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be the greatest among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And this was the, the sin of pride. Jesus said, listen, he said, if you want to be somebody that is great, you need to be somebody that is humble. Totally opposite again of what society tells us. But pride was a huge issue, even in Jesus' day. All right, I think we'll stop there today. We've got more to this list. Next time we'll pick up with some of these things that are taught by Jesus to help, help helping us just define what sin is. So far today we've looked at sacrilege or irreverence towards spiritual things, hypocrisy, covetousness, blasphemy, transgressing the law, and pride. Next time we'll pick up a few more of these. All, G, all these are examples of what Jesus had to say about various sins. And so we'll pick up with that the next time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day, for your blessings. Lord, thank you for this time we have to share together. Lord, we pray that you take each one of us home safely today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't forget if you uh, want to sign up for the camp work day, sign-up sheet is on the back counter. Uh, and uh, we'll be heading out Saturday at 7.